speak to us. Can we just give him praise for a moment? Yeah, that's our story. During this series, we've been emphasizing groups, and so we're having uh, discipleship groups uh, read the scripture together. So this is my D group uh, that I get to introduce. I love these guys. All right, here's the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and killed it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son, and he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. These words are true, and they can be trusted. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for your grace. If you would, just pause for a moment. We've just heard the reading of his word. And ask, say, Lord, speak to me. We ask that your words would seep deep into our heart. If you would, pray for the people around you. We are family church. We are aware of those around us that we worship with. Be aware of the people around you and behind you. Pray for them. Take a moment and pray that God would speak to them too. even take a moment this morning and pray for me. Pray that the Lord would speak through me. That the Lord would speak to me.
nothing more than to make you and your love ever more famous and known in this world. In your name, Jesus, amen. You guys are great. You can have a seat. It is good to be with you all, Josh. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. You guys do such a great job. Um, I love, love that I get to be a part of a church with great worship teams, plural, multiple campuses, great worship teams all the way around. Uh, And I love that I get to be here with you all too. Thank you, first service. Uh, Man, for putting on name tags. So if you got your name tags, I got my name tag on too. Kevin, thanks for hooking me up, brother. And I got my name tag on too. Uh, We are leaning into this. Okay, don't miss this right here. Everybody look right here. We are a family church. We are aware of the people around us. We want to learn names. We want people to learn our names. We want to be missed when we miss a Sunday. We want to be a relational family church. And one of the ways that we do that is we get to know each other's name. And so there it is. If you didn't know, my name's Mike. And uh, I'm glad that I get to be here with you all this morning. I cannot wait to get into this message. So... Let's do this. I want to go back to our liturgy from last week. This whole series is on building relationships. What does it mean to lean into this idea that we are created for relationships, designed by God on purpose to need other people and to be a blessing to other people and to need the blessings that God has given other people? We need them. We're designed for that. What does that mean? So the liturgy that we introduced last week, um, practice that will get this biblical idea in our mind is from John 13, 35, and it's this. You can go ahead and put it up on the screen. I will say the first part, and then you just respond with the second. So we're going to do this together a couple of times again this week. So how will they know that we are Christ's disciples? This is literally just the words of Jesus. All right, I want to do this again, but what I want you to do is I just want you to pay attention to the people around you. If you're sitting with friends, family, whatever, even the ones sitting behind you, look around, wave, hi, how you doing? You don't have to say it like that, hi, you don't have to do it like that, but just look at the person next to you, be aware of them, right? Okay, all right, now, being aware of the people around you, let's, let's do this again. How will they know that we are Christ's disciples? This is, this is scripture. By our love for one another. And so we're spending time last week, this week, and leading up to Easter talking about what it looks like to do the by our love for one another. What does it mean to actually do the by our love for one another? This amazing tool that God has given us that's literally a witness to the world. How will they know that we are Christ's disciples? One more time. Actually, it's not really one more time. I'm going to do it again at the end, but you just have to wait for that. (laughs) Let's do a quick review. Last week, last week, week number one, we talked about this. We are made to be interdependent, not independent. Last week, we talked in detail. You can go online at EncounterTrinity.com, and uh, you'll see a media tab. If you have not seen the message, you should. Uh, We made the definitive case that God designed us to be interdependent, to need other people. God purposely gave you some gifts, and he purposely created you to need the gifts of others. 
We use the illustration of a puzzle piece, how like we're puzzle pieces. And, uh, and so you've got like parts where you're gifted and then the intrusions part where you need other people. God literally designed you to need other people. You are made for interdependence, not independence. It is God's design. It is a gift to you to need other people as a mechanism for you to have intimacy, healthy God-defined intimacy. Speaking of intimacy, we defined that term last week. In our modern world, the term intimacy almost always is used in a sensual way. But when we use the word intimacy, biblical intimacy, it is so much broader than that. It literally just means an interrelating in a way that lines up with biblical faithfulness. Week number two, this week, what are we going to do this week? This week we want to talk about how we are made for human touch. We are made for human touch. Uh, I think, again, with each of these, I think there is massive spiritual warfare over each of the weeks that we will be teaching. Now, I will not be able to cover everything. I understand that some people have had touch in ways that have been very painful, and I acknowledge that, and I go into way more detail in this little uh, book that we put together. And so so you can go and look at more of this that'll correlate with this week's sermon. But I just want to acknowledge that. But just because touch has been done in a way that hurts in the past doesn't mean that you cease to have the need for it. In a healthy way. And so what does, the question is, what does that look like? Now, again, I want to pause. If you've been hurt, it's been abusive or intensity or whatever in the past, I want to encourage you. And again, I go to way more detail in this, in the book. But I want to encourage you, consider, we have a counseling center. Be, consider asking for help. Consider calling in. Consider reaching out to the therapy center. We have people that would love to meet with you, real counselors, educated, that can help you walk through the pains of the past so that you can thrive in the future. That's our goal. Our goal is not merely to acknowledge that past pain has happened. Our goal is to get you better so that you can thrive in the future. So with that in mind, I am going to, this morning for the sake of time, I am going to lean into acknowledging that we are created for physical touch, that it needs to be a part of your life. And if something is in the way of that, you need to deal with the past so that you can lean into God's design for you so you can thrive for your future. We are made for human touch. This last uh, week, every year, we do a, a staff retreat with our team. It's actually pretty fun to do. And uh, so we get away with the team. We talk about kind of the vision for the next year. We wrestle through ideas. And my wife and I will often, just to kind of stay locked in to the staff retreat, my wife and I will sometimes do a night away. So we'll go meet with the staff. And we won't go home because uh, our home is crazy with all of our children, and we'll stay away somewhere, kind of recalibrate, stay locked in, and be able to continue to work with the team and cast vision for the future and uh, prepare for the upcoming year. It's a lot of fun. And so we told our kids, staff retreat again, we're getting ready to head out. Uh, we'll be gone for one night, going to be gone from our house for one night. This is how it goes in our home. The older kids are like, cool, have fun. But the little girls... I mean, if you have little kids, you know this. If you remember having little kids, when you get down and you look at those little kids and you're like, mom and dad are going to be gone tomorrow night. What? 
no, I mean, the tears and the waterworks and the hugs and how could we neglect them and it's so hard and how am I going to go to sleep and what if I have a nightmare? Where am I going to go? How am I going to all of the questions? I mean, we're going to be gone for one night. It's just one night. So the night prior to our departure, I tucked in my seven-year-old and I was laying her in bed and she was crying, laying in bed. She was like, this is it. This is the last night. I'm like, no, there's... There's going to be more. Trust me, you're going to be okay. No, Daddy, you don't understand. I mean, just and she's such a high emotion, energy person, anyway. So everything, everything that she does is just you know level ten, and uh, love her to death. And so I'm tucking her in. I'm I'm you know giving her little kisses on the forehead, and I'm praying with her. And she's holding my hand so tight. Don't leave, Dad. Don't leave. You know. And I'm praying with her, and I'm talking with her. And this, this is what I say to her. I go, Honey, you know what? With modern technology you can like pull up your iPad and look at a picture. You've got tons of pictures of dad on there, right? Like, or, or you know what we could do? Even, we could even FaceTime. You could look at a video. I've got videos on there. I'm like, hi, Kara, you're awesome. Just look at one of those videos. It's not a big deal, you know? And if you really are feeling stuck, you can literally FaceTime. You can literally call us and I might be able to answer, but if I can't, I'll call you back, right? Like you can FaceTime with us. All of this technology exists. It's not even like we're that far apart. And she looks up at me. Oh my goodness, so much emotion. And she goes, I mean, so much intensity. Daddy, that's not the same. Okay, now now hang with me. That's actually really interesting. She knows a child born in the technology age, every day at school, they're immersed in it. They do tests on it. They know how to use FaceTime and call. I love our older people. I bet my seven-year-old can use that stuff better than some of you. And even somebody that's grown up immersed in it, she intrinsically knows it is not the same. Nobody had to teach her that. I didn't have to say that to her. Like deep inside of her, it is not the same, Daddy. It's not the same. There is a, when I was, and I I go into way more detail on this in the second chapter in here, but there is a hormone that some call the cuddle hormone, oxytocin, right? You guys familiar with this at all? So it is often referred to as the bonding or cuddle hormone, and it is closely related with physical touch. In fact, the release of this hormone during healthy physical interactions, it literally enhances feelings of well-being, feelings of safety, and feelings of connectedness among individuals. God designed you to literally need to be physically present with other people. And when you don't have it, something's missing. Something's literally missing. I think there is a ton of spiritual warfare around this. I really do. In fact, it feels like I just saw the Apple Vision thing, you know, I just saw that. And uh, I saw that Meta, Facebook, that whole group is trying to work on more. It feels like every technological advancement that's coming forward today is somehow coming into this world, increasing the distance between people. All while saying they're trying to make the distance closer. So like I'm watching this, this deal talking about 
all of the, you know, Apple Vision stuff and the meta, the, all the vision things and the, all the tools and the interconnected things like be closer. You can connect with people even better. And the really odd thing is you're right. You can connect with the other people even better by just throwing it all away and being present with them. My daughter, she doesn't know anything about oxytocin. She doesn't know anything about what's actually happening inside of her and the hormones that are released in the way, but she knows in her heart it is not the same. If you have a loved one that's passed away and you go back and look at videos of them or pictures of them, it's not the same. It's not the same. You are designed by God to be physically present with people. There are biological things that God designed in humans. If you only do church online, it's not the same. I love you. It's not the same. And this is the service that's streamed live online. Hi. <laughs> I love you. And the internet can be a wonderful supplement. But man, even to those that watch online, you need to be present with the body of Christ. It is not the same. Even a seven-year-old knows. It's not the same unless you're really there. I was going through some more research on this, and of course there's a ton more in the book if you're curious and like to get into that. But there is a, a guy, Father Michael Baggett, really interesting. And he makes the case, he says, I love the phrase that he uses. He says, uh, scholar Father Michael Baggett points out that we are living in an ever-increasing, I love this phrase, disembodied life. All of technology, all of this inventing, all that's happening. I mean, the laws that have come out during COVID, the pressure that happened. It's all pushing us to live ever more of a disembodied life. The problem is this disembodied life, and he makes the case for this in a strong way. Uh, in my sermon notes, I actually found this in an interview with him, and you can follow it and if you want to watch the whole thing. Uh, but the problem is this disembodied life is starving a key element of being human. It is starving it. And that key element is literal personal engagement. You cannot, okay, hear me clearly, and I know this might be, little harsh, but you cannot be fully human in isolation. You can't. It is a lesser human experience. You're made to be with other people. God designed you, maybe a way to say it really clearly would be this, God designed you to need real, in-person, human engagement. This can be as simple as a friendly handshake, a high five, or a grandbaby sitting on a grandparent's lap. You need to really be with people in the room together. It's not the same if you're not. And the truth is, 
I even think about this with intimacy, and I want to address this on a Sunday morning because of the such high prevalence and use of pornography. And I even saw this deal the other day where, where people were trying to defend it, Christian people trying to defend it. I just want to be really clear. It can also be as unique and special as God-honoring, biblically-defined sexual activity. Porn is not the same as real marital sexual activity. Let me be really clear, independent of what you read online. You are made for real human touch. God designed you for it. If you span through Scripture, you find a lot of pieces of evidence for this in the text that was read earlier. I want to go back to this a little bit, the parable of the lost sheep. So you have this story in mind. And let me just speak it a little bit, and then we'll read a part of it in detail. Jesus gives this metaphor of what the love of the Father is like. What is the love of the Father like? And he tells this story about a dad with two sons. And the two sons, it's like one of the boys does the right thing, says the right thing. Uh, you know, he's the one that went straight out of high school into college, got a good job, and he's taking care of himself. He's running like the one kid kind of did it right. And then he's got this other kid. And this other kid is like the rebel kid that just can't ever get his life together. And this rebel kid, and, and, and you find this a lot of times even in homes where you have the one kid that just can't seem to get it right. And eventually one day that kid that can't seem to get it right, finally in his mind something clicks and he's like, you know what? I'm done with it all. I'm done trying to keep up with my older brother. I'm done trying to, you know, be fair. I'm done. I just, and he goes like all off crazy rebel. I've seen it happen many times in homes where the kid just like goes way off the deep end. And so in this story, and we don't understand the weight of this because we are separated by a few thousand years of social norms, but what the story is saying that Jesus tells is this younger rebellious brother chooses to do the things that would be most offensive to the family. Chooses to do them. So he takes what resources belong to him, his inheritance, and he leaves and he basically, so it's an abandonment of the family, which was a huge deal back then. And the taking of your inheritance early was a statement to your parents saying, I now see you as dead to me. And this young rebel man who has rejected his family heads out, begins to blow his money on prostitutes and partying. I mean, just... Every decision, even the fact that he was in the pit with a pig, would have been like a cultural thing, basically saying the kid is in the place that the parents would have seen as the most detestable and embarrassing. It's like, we don't even want people to know this is our kid anymore because of the things that he's doing with his life. Well, one day this young man wakes up. He looks around and it's like something now clicks in his mind in a healthy way and he's going, what am, I, what am I doing with my life? This is a total train wreck. If only my dad could let me back around the family as a simple servant. He'd never let me be a son again because of all the things I've done that have been so detestable to him. But when he came to himself, this is John 15, starting in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough 
more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father's house. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. It's very important to note, he casts off his old sinful ways. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he knows that that is because of his choice. He chose to reject the family. And he says to him, treat me as one of your hired servants is what he's thinking. And so he arose and came to his father. So imagine this in your mind, like he's walking up the the road, the pathway. But while he was still a long way off, see the heart of the father. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Over and over and over again in the text, when we find the way that God interacts with humanity, there are a couple things that always stand out. Notice this. God desires to be physically present with his people. The Garden of Eden. We were designed to walk in a garden with God. So, of course, we're relationally lonely when we reject the very relationship like the prodigal son that we were designed to participate in. The incarnation, how does God interact with humanity? He comes as a baby and mom holds the baby and there's closeness. I mean, can you imagine like the oxytocin connection between Mary and Jesus? God made it. You are made for human interaction. God wants to walk with you. He wants to be physically present with his people. That's what God desires. That's why Jesus came. That's why his second coming is real, physical, and us doing life together in right intimacy with him and each other. You are made to be physically present with people and with God. You're designed for it. It is time, my friends and family, family church, it's time we start pushing back and rejecting the things that separate us from other real humans. The second thing that we find from this too is God desires for his children to be held and embraced. The father runs to the son, wraps him up, kisses him, embraces him, I mean, again, I just, as I've been going through this, if I could go back and and rewrite this, I would have made way more, I would have raised to the surface way more the interaction between baby Jesus and Mary and really sat in that. God comes to rescue us, but even in God's designed interaction with humanity, he lets humanity wrap our arms around him too. You're designed for intimacy. Real, in-person, physical touch intimacy. The third thing I would say is this. When we look forward to the prophecies even of heaven and or Jesus talking about what it will be like um, or the other biblical authors do, what we find is this. Heaven itself is right physical presence with God and right physical presence with each other. That is a heaven. When all of this interaction and this interaction gets totally, like right now it's like out of tune. It's like you're listening to music and somebody's singing off. We feel that everywhere. But that moment when like right attunement happens and it's like perfect harmony with God and perfect harmony with other people, that is, that is heaven. 
That is heaven. I'm going to invite Josh up, and I want to pull some of these ideas to a close here in a few moments. Again, I want to encourage you, if you haven't picked this up, do it. There's so much more, and I understand that the physical touch section is so weighted on so many, in so many ways, and I go into way more different angles on this in, in here. So I'd encourage you to pick this up if you haven't yet and read along with this as we're doing these sermons. But I want to take you to that moment It's the night before I leave town to go on the staff retreat. Let's go back there. And I lean down, you know, like this. I'm like, hey. And she reaches up, puts her hand up, so I grab her hand. Daddy, sit down. So I sit down on the bed. And she's crying. Daddy, don't go, don't go, Daddy. Please don't go, don't go. This is our last night. There'll be others, I promise. I lean over and I kiss her on her forehead. Is that she doesn't understand? That's okay. But in a way, she really understands that looking at pictures of Daddy and videos and FaceTiming with Mom and Dad, she knows, she knows doesn't know any of the science, doesn't know any of the psychology research, doesn't know any of, she doesn't know any of that. She knows in her heart it's not the same if you're not really present. Oh, that I might protect that truth and not let all of the modern technology that's trying to convince us that it's not true in the name of Jesus, I, re- I reject those lies. It's not the same. And I want to protect that truth in her heart because if she tries to satisfy that longing for real in-person intimacy, if she tries to satisfy it with the lesser things that culture says is good enough, she will be left depressed and empty and not know why. So with that little girl in in the bed and I lean over and I kiss her, I look at her and I tell her, as daddy actually holding you and telling you he loves you and kissing you on the forehead, it's not as good. We'll use a lesser thing. Poor kids, they grew up with me trying to explain stuff to them. We'll use a lesser thing. But you know what? We'll be together again. I hold you. See, Everybody in this room that's lost a loved one, you know it's not the same just looking at a picture. You know it's not the same looking at an old video. You know it's not the same. The promise of heaven is that you get to actually be with these people again. You know in your heart, you know in your heart, Kara knows, my little girl, I wasn't going to say her name, oops. Kara knows in her heart that real in-person interaction is what her heart, her life is made for. So here we go. Let's do our liturgy one more time. 
when the outside world is looking at us and they're confused and anxious and depressed and lonely, literally the epidemic of loneliness. We talked about that paper last week a little bit. When they look at the church, when they look at a church family, how will they know that we are Christ's disciples? If we're going to actually love the way God designed us to, you have to be here. of your ability, you have to be here. So when somebody that doesn't understand church family and they're lonely and depressed and anxious and they walk in, they walk into a family. A family. They walk into a family. Let me say it really clearly. Love requires you Love requires you to be physically engaged with others. It requires you to be physically engaged with others. And what that physical engagement looks like is unique to the relationship, yes. It is unique to what you've been through in your past, yes. It is going to take time for some people because of past hurt, yes. All of that is true. It doesn't change the fact that you are designed to still need those real relationships. For some of you, the most important thing that you could do today is You've been hurt in the past. You've been abused, whatever. The most important thing you could do today is actually commit to go to counseling and heal, start healing the past. For some of you, that's the most important thing you could do today. Commit to it. You're going to call. Uh, of course, we have a, a counselor connected with the staff, but we also have lots of great counselors in the church, right? We would love to help you deal with your yesterdays so that you can thrive in your tomorrows. We would love to help you deal with your yesterday so you can thrive in your tomorrows. For some of you, the most important thing that you could do today is decide to make being present with the church family a priority. Like, you are no longer a consumer of church, a consumer of ideas. You are a participant in a family. Just like last week we said, lean in rather than lean out. Don't do church leaning out like this, like an arrogant professor just evaluating. Lean in. I want you to uh, pull out your next steps card, and I just want you to consider one question. Consider one question. No, I, I ought to add this. We're going to do communion in a minute. This is so good. Just such a good, good, good thing that we're leaning into. If you're here and you're not in the family of God, you have not chosen to become a Christian, that's your first thing. <laughs> that is your first thing. There is a love that is so transforming and fulfilling. I dare you. I dare you to jump into it and see what happens to your heart. If you need to choose Jesus, do it. On your next steps card, I would love for you to consider this. Uh, the things that we've talked about, I just want you to consider this. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. What environments is God calling you to make time to be physically present in? You can't do everything. You can't. But you really ought to write down a couple priorities. 
I, I can give you a two that need to be on your paper because the Bible tells us to have them on there. You, you ready for this? So present with the Lord. I don't care how busy you are, find time to be before God in prayer, reading the word, be present with God. Nothing's gonna shape your heart better as frequently as you can, right? Daily. Even if it's just a few minutes, even if it's while you're driving down the road, do Lecta Divina. You can download an app. Make sure to be with God regularly. Like you gotta make time for that. You gotta make, I love you, make time for it. There's nothing else. I promise there's no modern pop psychology audio book. There's nothing more important out there that you could lean into than just be present with God. That is your father loves you. Let him wrap his arms around you daily. Let him remind you daily that you are loved and you are part of, be with God. The second thing that ought to be on there, do not forsake the gathering of believers this summer and the habit of doing. You need to make church family a priority. I love you. You need to make it a priority. If you don't like that I said it, go to the scripture. Do not forsake the gathering of believers this summer and the habit of doing. Read all the texts around it and be mad at God for that, not me. Church family matters. But then I'm also curious, what other environments do you feel like God is calling you to make time to be physically present in? I'll tell you one that's on my list, my family. I try, I can't do it every night, but I try as frequently as possible to lay my little kids down in bed and pray with them as often as I can. I can't do it every night. putting my kids to bed is more important than the Super Bowl. I will skip part of the Super Bowl to put my kids to bed. Hear me. I don't care if you're offended. In my heart and in my life, putting my little girl in bed is more important than seeing that play that I could watch on YouTube the next day over and over and over again. What environments is God calling you to make time to be physically present in? Take some time on your next steps card and pray about it. What is God speaking into your heart? Man, I love you. I came up pretty strong a couple places, but no, pastor loves you. What is God speaking in your heart? Go ahead and write.